I think we're really honored in Region 5 that not only do we have five terrific states within our region, but we're blessed to have a foreign country. There's not many regions that have that. The last workshop in the closing for this convention has been given to Windsor. And at this time, I'd like you to help me welcome Patty S. from Windsor. Hi, my name is Patty, and I'm a gratefully compulsive. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. Would you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I once heard someone say that the only thing that compulsive overeaters do with complete abandon is eat. But I saw last night that there are many compulsive overeaters who dance with complete abandon. I don't know about you, but I felt so comfortable. And someone was sharing with me this morning that they didn't have to look around and see if anyone was laughing at them or see if someone else was doing something different. It didn't matter. It just felt so good. I have been asked to begin the workshop, and then each person from Windsor is going to spend three to five minutes to tell about one of the promises that has perhaps come true for them, or one that they have chosen that they can speak about. I've been in the program, it'll be five years in May, and I've lost 230 pounds. Just a minute, no. <clears throat> I lost 125 pounds the first time and then found it. <laughs> All but 10 of it. And then I began again, and right now I've, I have about 103 pound weight loss. The thing is, this time I'm not going to lose it, because what you lose you can find so easily. So this time I'm going to dissolve it. And... <clears throat> It is a difficult place to be when you've gained your weight back and you have felt so good before because personally, my self-image is very much related to how much I weigh. And perhaps this isn't good, but this is, happens to be the, where I am. When I think of promise, I think of if I go out and do something, this will be my reward. But I heard an expression the other day and it is so true. If you want to walk on water, first you have to get out of the boat. You have to take that first step. Now, we can all relate to that, I'm sure, because we can't just sit around and wait for our miracle to happen. We have to take that first step, and we may be afraid, but we have to realize that we're not doing it ourselves, and we have a group of loving people who are ready to say, take my hand, come with me, and we will help you. Sometimes someone else has to plant that seed of faith before you can believe it. 
But once you start believing it, then it becomes much easier. When I sat in a goals class at 260 pounds last March, I made a list of goals. One of them, I wasn't quite sure that would ever come true because I, I felt I had lost what I had. And that was, I wanted to be a keynote speaker at a marathon. Now I wrote that down, not believing, but I wrote it down as a goal anyway. And it wasn't uh, five months later when I got a phone call and they said, Patty, we'd like you to be the keynote speaker at our Windsor Marathon. Now to be asked to be a keynote speaker at your own marathon, it was just so exciting to me. I was just really pleased. Then this weekend, John asked me if I'd like to come back in March and lead a marathon. And I remember to say thank you because it wasn't me who attained that goal. It was the program, it was God working through other people because I could not do it myself. I've tried before doing it myself. I've tried many diets and sometimes I said, well, I won't, have, I won't go on a diet, I'll just eat like a normal person. <clears throat> anyway, a promise to me is a sort of like a goal fulfilled. And another goal that I had was that I wanted to wear the, the certain outfit that I had bought when I was at my smallest before. And believe me, I didn't internalize that I would really wear it, but I wrote it down. Do you know that in writing it down, it gives more value to whatever you believe in? If more people don't write down their goals, and therefore, they don't really believe that it could come true. So I wrote all of these goals down, and I have them in a book that I carry with me. And I look them over, and sometimes my goals change. But that's okay. One of them was also to be in a fashion show of a group that has a fat store and a small store, Boutique for the Bountiful, which I thought was beautiful. I thought it was Boutique for the Beautiful when I looked at it, but it was for the Bountiful. And I wanted to be in their fashion show. However, now I'm in the smaller store and they don't need models for the smaller store. And I said, that's okay. It was good enough to get me going, keep me going. And you know, I find on days when I, I'm not progressing as well, either with my emotional growth or my spiritual growth, is because I've lost sight of my goal. And so I have to look over this list again and say, you know, this is important. I don't want to blow it because I know what happens when I let go of what I believe in. So I did have some promises, and the promises that you're going to hear from the Windsor Group are promises that could enrich the lives of anyone, not just a compulsive reader. And I've heard people say it's really a shame, and we feel sorry for people who don't have a 12-step program. People think that Overeaters Anonymous is a diet club, and because Windsor didn't have a group and we started it just from someone who had done it for five weeks, can you imagine your first five weeks in OA and starting your own meeting and getting a group of people who didn't know anything about it? Well, we thought it was a diet club. And for a long time, that's all it was to us. And I can remember the first time God was mentioned at our meeting, I, I just really felt funny. 
And I can remember people saying, if she doesn't stop talking about God, or if he doesn't stop talking about God, we're going to lose people. However, now we know much more about the program, and we're, we're willing to learn. And this is why we go to all these meetings and come over to this country. Because <laughs> you've had a little bit longer than we have. And so we come over, and we, we get new ideas, and we take them back. And all of us go to different groups. It's not just one group, and we're able to share what we've learned. Many times I had excuses, and I know some people heard me yesterday, so you may hear some of my stories again, but we all have excuses for why we are eating, or why we got angry, or why we lashed out at our children. And I can remember I used to say, well, I'd start the diet today, but I'm going to a wedding next week. And I heard someone say, well, Halloween's coming up. Oh, it was in the skit. Halloween's coming up, so it, you know, it's no use I start now. And we have all these butts, and if we'd only get our big butts out of the way, we might be able to work this program. The other group laughed louder. Are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> ah. <clears throat> Did you know that... Um, 90% of the people in men's mental institutes are there because they can't accept change. That was my biggest problem. I could not accept change. And I guess, in a way, it's because I'm a ma manipulator. And if I want something, I want it to work out the way I want it to work out. And if it doesn't, then I'm really upset. Well, one out of every three people in this world have some type of mental disorder. So I want you right now to look to the person to the left of you. <laughs> and to the person to the right of you. And if they look okay, guess who it is? always know I'm a teacher, always. <laughs> Another thing that I had a problem with was taking responsibility for my actions and for my feelings. I used to be like the little child. There's, there's two people inside me, the child and the adult. Last night, if you were at the dance, you saw the child having a great time. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But there are times when the child in me does not know or does not choose, I know, does not choose to take the proper avenue, and I, I end up paying for it, whether it be in feelings or actions. And so I have to learn to take responsibility for what I've done, and not eat over it, and not um, try to hide my feelings like I did so many times. I was 130 when I got married, and it was, at the time, a very wrong move to get married. And my, as I'm walking down the aisle with my husband, I wasn't thinking about what you normally think of on a day that you get married and all the fun at night. And I wasn't thinking about that. He, we were up kneeling, and, and I turned to him and I said, Boy, am I hungry. <laughs> now, I was 130, and that began an, began an eight-year binge for me. I don't believe I went on a diet for the first eight years of my marriage, and you know I found myself at 275 pounds, which happens to be the same weight as the Incredible Hulk. I didn't think he's that big. 
Anyway, I found that I can't avoid my life. And there are things that I can change. And instances in my life that controlled the way I reacted, I can change that. The responsibility lies within me. Um, <coughs> destiny, or the way that my life goes, is not a matter of chance, which we've heard so often. It's a matter of choice. I have a choice. And if I make it from the penthouse of my consciousness rather than from the basement, I know that I am doing it the way that my higher power would want me to. I know that if what I do comes from the good part of me, the good within, then I know that I'm doing what I should. But first of all, I have to know what I want. So many times I don't know what I want. And being a compulsive overeater, I was a people pleaser. So I didn't do what I wanted, I did what you wanted to do. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to that. And because I did what other people wanted to do, there were times when I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know the real Patty. I didn't know my feelings because, oh, I would do what you wanted to do, and then when I would go home, I would eat. And then I'd be so clouded with uh, sugar and carbohydrates that I didn't matter what I wanted, and I'd be drunk. So that's why I say I make a goals list. And you know, I make a daily goals list. And one of them, one of the goals is to drink six glasses of water a day, six to eight. Now that isn't a goal that is not beyond my reach. I can do that for just for today. Another goal is to go on my rebounder twice a day, which is a, like a mini tramp and you jog on it. I can do that. And boy, does it feel good the, that night when I can check it off and say I did it. I, can, I even have brushed my teeth three times a day on that list because so many times I'm busy and I don't take time for myself and don't do the things that I need to do. I would rather do something for someone else than take the time for me. So I have to learn to do that. The second thing in order to learn more responsibility, I have to believe and accept that there may be barriers in my life that are going to stop me from my goal. That I may have to climb over or plow through, but that if it's meant to be, it'll happen. There are going to be barriers to my goal. And I, I think if you were here last year, you remember that I was talking about barriers and mountains and that if we have a mountain, we have to move that mountain. We have to get rid of it. And there's a little part that I found, and it said, when faced with a mountain, I will not quit. I will keep on striving until I climb over, find a path through, a tunnel underneath, or simply stay and turn the mountain into a gold mine with God's help. Maybe the situation that you're in right now, and you think it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen, Maybe it's the best possible thing that could ever happen. I've heard the expression, what, what your friends or enemies meant for evil, God meant for good. Out of every situation, there's a silver lining. It's just that we don't stay around long enough to find it. When I speak, I've had people come up and say, you said just what I needed to hear. Well, I have to tell you I'm a little bit selfish, and I say just what I need to hear. 
I'm the one that needs to hear these things and to be reminded of all these positive feelings that are there, but can so, so be so clouded. I don't think any of you could relate to this, but there are times when my emotional stability takes over my thinking nature, and I don't know what to do. And I get myself so much into that situation that I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can't see the fact that there is a rainbow in that situation. I have to take a minute to relax. And relax and release have the same root word in Latin, and it means to let go. I do have a lot of trouble relaxing. I'm kind of hyper sometimes, and I'm taking a relaxation and mental approach to health class, and she has you go down to the bottom level of your consciousness, and that has been a great help to me, because now all I have to do is sit, close my eyes, and do the exercise that she has taught us, and I can be relaxed. And do you know it's in that relaxed state that a lot of the thoughts come to me about what I'm supposed to do? And I, at that point, too, I also see myself at 130 pounds. The last time I did not see myself thin. And when I was almost a goal, I didn't know it was me. And so now I do what we call mental conditioning, and every day I close my eyes and I see myself at 130. And still, it's okay if I don't hit 130. I see myself smaller, and that's important. And if I get into a situation that I don't know how to handle, what I try to do is step back and look at it as if it's someone else, especially if I can't get hold of my sponsor. If I can get hold of my sponsor, I can call and say, you know, this is what's happening. I, know, I don't want to react right now. I want to wait so that I can respond to it and know that I'm doing the right thing. Another thing that I have to do to take responsibility is to be willing to give up something that's not working, to take the risk of change for something that will work. And I can relate to this because when I was on program before, I was two years on gray sheet without breaking my abstinence. And when I tried to get back on after gaining many pounds, Oh, I knew Gracie did it for me before, so it had to do now. I just knew it. And I'll tell you, the guilt that went with not doing that sheet, it was just amazing. But when I became willing to give it up and try something else, that's when I was successful. And so I have to be willing to give up something that I think works. Well, I shouldn't even say that, because be willing to give up something, even if it, it's not working, but I hold on to it anyway. Have you ever had a friendship that's not working and it hurts you and causes you perhaps to eat or causes all these negative feelings and yet you won't give it up because you're so afraid of taking a risk and losing something even if it's hurting you for something that perhaps will just be beautiful. I read this book that just hits this so much and it says things like... Um, into our lives come many people, and some of them have to leave. But you have to believe that these people are brought for a reason, and that when they are leaving, someone will take their place. Have you ever 
felt so lonely, and then the next thing you know, you meet someone. Or you, say, you, you ask for someone to talk over your problems with you, and, and you say, I just wish I could talk about this with someone. I saw many people on a one-to-one -one this weekend who probably found just that person. I don't believe that I have to sit or kneel or lie down to pray. I believe that the spoken word is the silent expectancy of your heart, that what you say is a prayer. And so I just have to even think it, and it's out into the universe. And if it's supposed to happen, that's what will happen. I told about the time I was coming home from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I have a heavy foot when I'm by myself and I want to go somewhere. And so I was going about 90 miles an hour in an old 75 station wagon on my way to church. And the thought came to me, I might have a blowout. And I slowed down. So I was only going about 80. And I had a blowout. 20 minutes after I thought it. Now, some people would say, I programmed for it. But I say, I was given the insight that I was going to have one, so I'll tell you, I wasn't nervous at all when it happened. I didn't panic. I didn't put my foot on the brake. I said, oh, well, it really did happen. I didn't get upset. So I pulled over to the side, and I got out of the boat. I didn't sit in the car and wait for someone to come by. They might have thought I was just taking a rest. I was all dressed up in my Sunday going to meet and clothes, and I opened the trunk. I took out the jack, <laughs> took out the tire even, laid it on the side, and I don't know if you've heard the story about the Eskimo, about the, the man who said, I don't believe in God, there is no God, and he said, I believed in him one time, but he didn't come through for me, and another friend said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I prayed to God that he would save me when I was flight floating on a nice flow, and he didn't save me. And the fellow looked at him and he says, well, you're here, aren't you? He says, yeah, but an old Eskimo came by and just happened to help me. <laughs> well, I got out of the car. I did all that I could because there was no way I was going to put that thing on because I didn't know where to put it. Now I do. So anyway, I looked down the road, and I honestly said, okay, where's my Eskimo? I said it, and the very next truck to come by was a great big U.S. mail truck. And he went by, and then I saw him back up, and he pulled in, and he came over, and he changed my tire. And I can't tell you the feeling that I had inside me. I was just so grateful. And I just knew that because of the attitude that I had and the open channel I had, I was given the awareness, first of all, that it might happen. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you are ever driving really fast, and all of a sudden, you think to yourself, I better slow down. And just around the corner, there's a policeman. You have an open channel, too. <laughs> I got 11 people waiting here for to speak. I better hurry. Um, don't hurry? That was from you. My higher power, which I care to call God, has every intention of supporting me in my good. And I've heard people say, oh, well, 
I'm just going to take today easy and let God decide what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit here on the couch and wait for the sign. That's okay sometimes. And maybe if you're open, you're going to receive maybe some sign. However, again, I have to say, you have to put your foot forward and do the action. And we've heard action is the magic word. So we have to begin. I'll tell you, if you begin something and it's not right for you, you're going to find out somehow that it's not right for you. That's where change changed for me. Because if I believe that, if I believe that what I start out to do, if it's not right, it won't happen, then I can accept change. Because I realize that I'm giving up something good for something better. If I can't come to this convention, if I couldn't come to this convention this week, I would be at home knowing that there was something better. However, I think all of us will agree there couldn't be much, anything much better than this weekend. Right. I usually wear a button, and I know the last time I was in Dayton, I brought about, oh, I'm not compulsive, so I only brought about 300. And it says, I feel so good I can hardly stand it. And it really is true. If you are working the program, and you are trying your best each day, you wake up in the morning, and you make that positive positive affirmation, even on a Monday morning, you wake up and say, I feel so good, I can hardly stand it. And you do the old thing where you look in the mirror and say, I love you. I love you unconditionally. It doesn't matter if anyone else loves you, as long as you love you. I've seen many signs here that says, I love you and God loves you too. That's two. And in this room, everyone is accepting and loving of everyone else. I have to be clear in what I want to do from the outset. I, in the morning, I have to be clear on a few things that I have to get done through the day. And I have to ask for the strength and the power to carry those out. And um, I have to ask for renewed strength and say, if it's thy will, I will do my best. I, knew the, I know of a couple who used to stand up and say, I feel good. I feel good. And they clapped their hands and they felt so good. Well, they happened to work at the same business. And one morning, both of them were late. And the man got hauled up in the carpet in the office. And his boss said, now listen, I can't accept this. It's bad enough if one person is late. But two of you, he said, you know, that just isn't right. And the guy said, well, listen, I really apologize and it won't happen again. But he said, my wife got up and said, I feel great. I feel good. And he said, I just couldn't miss up that opportunity. You know, she just felt so good. <laughs> Take advantage of things when they come along. He thought he had a sign that it was okay to be a little late for work. <laughs> so in closing of this part, I'd like to say that the promises can come true, but you can't sit around and wait for them. You can't sit and wonder when the next one's going to plop in your lap. You have to go for it. 
It's the little badges in the boutique. Go for it. Don't let someone do it for you because it won't be you. The strength that we can all share will get us through another day. The promises are real, if you are real. I don't know how many people have ever read The Velveteen Rabbit, but I read it, first of all, to a hundred children in my school. I had tears running down my cheeks, and so did they. And then I, I wanted to read it to a behavioral class, and there were only about six kids in the class. But I'll tell you, I got something out of there from those children. But in The Velveteen Rabbit, he asks the skin horse, and he's a skin horse because they've ridden him so much, all his hair's gone. He says to the skin horse, how do you know when you're real? And the skin horse, who's very wise, said, you know you're real when someone loves you. And he said, does it hurt much? And he said, yes, because the skin horse was very honest. He says, yes, it hurts, but it's worth it. So we may feel pain at times, but you know what? Even the outside world feels pain too. They really do, those normal people really do feel pain sometimes. I thought they never did. I thought they were, you know, because they didn't eat, their life must be just fantastic. But the answer is not how much you weigh, but the answer comes from within. Right now I'd like to ask Shirley to come up and share a song with us before we begin the promises. I began to calm me. One of my dreams promises to myself that someday I might be accepted and loved. And one of my promises to myself that I might be a singer, known. And this weekend, most of these promises have been fulfilled. I've even been accepted by another country. <laughs> because I shared yesterday something that I felt needed shared at the time. Pat asked me to sing this song. And still, I, don't, I may not have all the words right, but any of you that know this song, I appreciate you either hum, sing, whatever. Support me. I am a promise. I am a possibility, I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality, and I am learning to hear God's voice, and I am trying. 
to make the right choice. I am a promise to be anything God wants me to be. I can go anywhere and do anything. I can climb the high mountain and cross the wide sea. I'm a great big promise, you see. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. And I am learning to hear God's voice and I am trying to make the right choice. I am a promise to be anything God wants me to be. Thank you, Shirley. Beautiful. We have a visible sign whenever there's a storm that God is working through us and with us, and that is the rainbow. The rainbow is a symbol of God's promise. And all of you are... Oh, oh gosh. All of you people are symbols of God's promise too, each in a different way. And there are 12 disciples sitting in front of me. (laughs) I asked if it was sacrilegious to call them disciples, but I don't think it is because they've taught me an awful lot. So I'm going to ask Arlie to come up and begin with the first promise. Thank you, Bobby. Um, I think we better say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hi, I'm Arlene. I'm a compulsive reader. Uh, new freedom and happiness. Uh, I've been in the program for 10 months, and out of that 10 months I've learned some beautiful and wonderful things. Um, I never ever had a happiness that I could really depend on um, with my children, my husband, my whole family. my daughters, I had a good talk with them when I first got into OA, especially, especially my little one. Uh, she's so much like her mother. And uh, my happiness and my freedom was to have an understanding with my daughter that she'd be okay. Um, for words. With my husband and myself, um, for the past 14 years I've been married, um, our love has been okay, but through OA I've learned to be a better understanding person, a better loving person, because I never came from 
a whole bunch of love, and I had to learn to get the new happiness and whatever I could accept. Without OA, I've tried to stay away from meetings, and uh, every time I do, it's, it's not a compulsion to eat. It's just that I turn myself back into that old negativity, which I don't want. Um, really stuck for words. Um, through a way I've learned that it's okay to be loved. Um, it took me a darn long time to learn that. I uh, go to the meetings and I don't know, everybody was hugging and I'm not a hugger. I'm just a half a hugger. And uh, I've learned to become a more open person, uh, working my 12 steps to keep my head straight and to keep the sugar out of my system is one of the best things I could have ever done. Um, it wasn't so much the food, like I, I went to a weight loss place and lost 30 pounds and I gained 10 back. And I thought to myself, What's going on, eh? I, you know, something's changing. And I knew I needed something. And uh, I talked to a girlfriend of mine and asked her if I could join OA. And I think I had to hit that rock bottom. And for all this many years, I could never think straight. Sugar was like poison in my system. My daughter, it's poison in her system, so. Both of our freedoms are quite an experience. And my husband came from a loving family. Um, there was three sisters and two other brothers. And when I go to Nova Scotia in the summer, I find that the love there, like, they're so beautiful people, they don't even need OA. They're, I don't know, it's just another world when you go out there. And this summer was excellent for me. Um, I spoke at OA out there, and I spoke at uh, social workers, asked me to do some speaking for her, and I felt that I gained and grew a lot. But I didn't know how to handle it. I came home and I had a fat head. And uh, I spoke to somebody, and now I understand that I'm growing inside and um, I don't know, it's just, it's fantastic. I just can't explain how it happens. And another thing, um, I never ever in my life read. If my husband asked me to read something that small, I wouldn't do it. I just said, no, I don't want to read. Since I've come into OA, I've read, oh, five or ten books already, and the most important and the most beautiful book was The Art of Learning to Love Yourself. I had to um, learn to love this person inside of me, which I hated for 37 years. I'm still working on it, but that book is very, very meal. Cecil J. Osborne was the author of it. 
And I would suggest that anybody that can read it should. It's really something to grow on. And uh, you're all so beautiful. Last night I was up till 3 o'clock, and it felt so good. I was totally drained. I couldn't sleep, but it was beautiful. I grew so much. So and I just want to thank you for letting me share. Hi, my name is Ruth, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you. Um, it's still scary. <laughs> um, stop laughing. <laughs> uh, I've been in the program not quite four years, and I feel like I've got about this much of the program so far. Um, I, I uh, shared last night at a, at a workshop that uh, I've been in this program this long and I still don't have a sponsor and that shocked a few people. But let me tell you where I'm coming from. I was, I was working in a job where it took so much of my time that I didn't have any time for myself or my family. And I just removed that truck off my back and I quit my job and I feel terrific about it. I really do. because. Like Patty said, when you're doing something that you know is not right for you, you just keep on doing it. I was so afraid to quit, and I don't know what I was afraid of. I think one of the things was I was afraid that I wouldn't have any money, which is I'm still afraid of. <laughs> but like I, I, before I didn't work and I was at home, I always used to feel that I was under my husband's thumb for the money because I always had to almost beg for money. So I figured that I had this power now. I had my own money, and I'm going to do what, with it what I wanted to. And that felt really good, and I didn't want to let go of that. But at the same time, this job was destroying me. And I think everyone in my group, all my friends, knew that it was destroying me. And I knew it, too, but I just didn't have the guts to quit. So I did it now, and that feels really good. And I've, like, finally started to get some goals in my life. I really didn't know what my goals were. I started a program in a community college where I live. I started a, a course that's called Taking Charge of Your Life. And uh, I have really started to take charge of my life. I have always wanted to go to university. I, I did want to be a teacher, but there's no job, so there's not much point in going into that. So I thought of, of counseling, and then I thought, oh, counseling, that's a riot. Who's going to listen to me? I mean, I don't, I don't even listen to me myself, so. <laughs> How is anybody else going to? And I mean, who are you that you're going to tell anybody else or help anybody else with their problems? But this is what I want to do. And I'm going to start university in January on a part-time basis at first. And if that doesn't work out and that's not what it's meant to be, then I, that's okay. And I'm finally learning that. You see, I, um, I reached the big 4-0 in April of this year. And I thought, oh my God, 40 years old and I still haven't done all this stuff that I should have gotten done by this time. And I've only got half the time left, because I figure you live to be 80, if you're lucky. <laughs> but one of the things that, that uh, the psychologist that's teaching this course said is he took a, a, a chalk and he drew all the way along the blackboard. And he said, now, where do you think you are in your life? And I said to myself, well, I'm halfway because I'm 40. <laughs> and, uh, 
So he goes, well, most people go down here, and he he's younger than me, I think, because he went about two-thirds of the way from the back, and he went about a third of the way down the line. And I thought, oh, gee, is that ever nice? He must be only in his 30s. <laughs> so then he went down this end, and he went about 12 inches from the line, and he said, now, try to live your life if you, were, if you know you only had six months to go, because you really don't know if you've got an hour to go. You could drive out... Um, out of St. Clair onto Talbot Road, and that could be the end. And I thought, well, six months to go, I'm going to have an affair, and I'm going to go, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to leave time for confession at the end. <laughs> and, uh, he, and, you know, it was funny because I think half the room was thinking the same thing because he said that. He said, uh, he said now you're probably all going to have an affair. But, and I thought it was so unique. But anyway, a lot of this, I've really learned a lot from this weekend. I really have. Uh, someone said, I feel that I should quote, because if you're going to go to university, I hear you have to put that on the bottom of your paper. Who said that? But I don't remember who said it, but I don't think they'll mind if I take their words. And uh, someone said to remember the happy times that happened to me. And, and I do this. So this is about the past. I don't know if you know what I'm doing here, but it's will not regret the past and wish to shut the door on it. And uh, I, rem I used to only remember the happy times because I figured that you're supposed to put the bad times in the, in, the, in the little box and tuck it under the bed somewhere because you're not supposed to remember the bad things. You're only supposed to remember the good things. But now, I don't know if this great wisdom is coming since I'm 40, but now I don't do that anymore. I don't feel that I have to shut out the past anymore. Even the bad things that happened in the past are learning experiences and a chance to grow. And remembering what I was like before helps me to remember where I came from. Because if I don't remember what I felt before, I'm not going to learn from it and I'm not going to get anywhere. And uh, this weekend has given me a chance to learn more about the program. And uh, I'm going to get a sponsor. I don't know who yet, but I'm going to sponsor. And uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I think there's a big fear because I had I had two sponsors in the past. When I first came into the program, I had a sponsor, and she fell off the program. So I thought, oh my God, you know, like I I put this person on a pedestal, and and so when she fell off the program, I thought, oh God, now what am I going to do? And and that's. And then the same, same thing happened the second time. Not, not that this person fall off the program necessarily, but she didn't come to meetings and I couldn't get a hold of her anymore. So right away I think, she doesn't want to talk to me anymore. But anyway, uh, I realized the educational part of this program never ends. Like, I'm never going to be there. I'm going to keep on growing until I'm in that little box. And that's what I'm learning from this program. I've got a long way to go, but that's where I'm coming from. And that's what I mean about the past, because I always used to think that the bad things you just tucked away and never thought about again. But now I realize that they're learning experiences. Thank you. Hi, my name is Linda, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you. My promise, 
we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. Um, it's, it's really amazing that I get this again this year because I had this last year. <laughs> and uh, I really cherish serenity. That's the one thing I want in my life the most. And that's the one thing that I go for. Um, but uh, I just want to say, at the beginning of the promises, it says, if we are, and I wrote this from memory, painstaking in this uh, phase of our development, we will be amazed. And I really like that word amazed because that is my promise. You know, that should be my promise, Linda's promise. Because this year I have been amazed immensely and I've not stopped being amazed. When I sit back and say, here God, you know, and when I say take it away, I start, take it away. I don't want it no more, you know. Uh, I can't handle it, you know. And, uh, you know, when I do that, you know, immediately serenity and peace, calmness, stillness comes into my mind and I know I can do anything that I, I want. And uh, I know that I don't have to face anything that I don't want. And uh, I just love that, that feeling of amazement. I mean, it's, it's never ending for me. And, and uh, it's just been a super feeling. And uh, that's my promise. That's the promise that I've chosen to carry this last year and the promise that I choose to carry the next year. Um, I know last year I went through this big phase in my development, you know, after losing so much weight, you know, we all think, do I still got it? And that's all I said all year, I got it, do I got it, you know, and it seemed like I had to prove to somebody, maybe myself, that I have it, you know, I, I set out in this world to uh, entice a guy, you know, uh, just to prove to myself that I've still got the sex appeal that uh, I thought I once had, but lost, and, uh, I realized today that I always had it, you know, I always had it, it was still there. Um, and this year I got a hell of a lot more, and it feels so good, so good. Uh, I just want to share what happened at one regional assembly meeting within the last year that I, I had the opportunity of going. And I love going to anything that involves you Americans, because I just love hearing all this program. And I need to hear this, you know, I, I need to hear your honesty. I need to feel a part of something that you guys got. I, I love so many of you. I, I love you all, you know. I don't know you all, but I, I do love you all. But there are some all very special people. You're all special. I just wish I could get to know you all. But anyway, I'll get back to this uh, regional assembly meeting. A friend and I were uh, playing an electronic game, you know those uh, centipedes? Uh, they're just new. I, it was new for me, you know, coming from a foreign country, you know, it was real new. And uh, I'm playing this centipede, and I'm having a good time. I put my quarter in, and I'm doing all the right moves and everything, you know. And I'm laughing, and I'm making all these points score up, and I'm, I've got this fantastic, you know, uh, score. I said, wow, mine were good the first time. And then I stopped, and I said, what's this red button for? And I pushed it, and the game started. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I had five minutes of fun for nothing. <laughs> I mean, the game started, you know, after I pushed the red button. I thought, wow, I was stupid. But then I got, I carried it home, you know, and I said, 
Now, what did I learn from that? You know, I think when I first came into program, you know, I just grabbed anything, and I grabbed the diet, you know, and uh, for almost a year or over a year, I just had the diet, you know, and until I pushed that red button, and that was my higher power button, you know, and I just flew around, I screwed around, I went up and down like a yo-yo, you know, and uh, I accomplished, well, I don't say I, I didn't accomplish anything, because I did learn. It was a good learning experience. And it was something that Linda had to do. And uh, therefore, it wasn't a bad time. You know, I, I took the best of it. But I just, I just had to go home and think that, you know, what was that? What did I learn from that little episode, you know? And I, I realized until I pushed that red button in my own program, and that was my higher power, and let him do it, you know, I couldn't have done it without him. And uh, I thought, you know, that's really, you know, something else. I'm going to push that red button whenever I need it, you know. And it's free, it's not a quarter. Um, anyway, um, uh, we will comprehend serenity. You know, within the last couple of months, I've been faced with a really, you know, serious problem in that we are going for another mortgage for our house. You know, when I started out looking for mortgages, they were almost 18% in Canada. I thought, oh my God, that means almost $150 more a month. You know, that's, that's a lot, <laughs> especially when everything else is going up. And I thought, oh God, I don't want it no more in this, take it away. <laughs> you know, I don't want it no more. Uh, I can't, I can't handle it. You know, I can't do anything about it, so take it. So I let it sit, you know, I let it sit for two weeks. Do you know that those mortgage rates came down and they've been coming down three quarters of a percent every time? Now we are at 14 and a half percent and I'm still waiting. <laughs> and I've got a couple more, you know, I've got another month or an, and a half and maybe by the time that I have to face that. But if I didn't give it over, you know, and if I didn't, you know, just say, hey, take it away, you know, I can't do it. I can't make the mortgage rates go down. And I, I just had to stop. Wow, you really knocked me between the, the eyes this time. You know, I couldn't have made the mortgage rates go down. Uh, you know, he can do anything that I can't do. And that's just, it's amazing. And I, and I love being amazed. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, as I said before, I really want to thank all of you. You, uh, you call us foreigners, and I never did feel foreign to you. Uh, I don't know. I just never got the feeling of foreignness from you. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to keep coming back to Region 5. I don't want to take more, you know, work into it, get more involved in Region 5 and, and with you people because I need what you have. I need what you can give me. You know, if I want to stay skinny, and I have made a vow to myself, and it's uh, a vow that, that uh, I will never get old fat. That is really one of my phobias about getting old fat, you know, being fat when I get old because I have grandparents that were fat when they were old and my mother's got a weight problem and I have a weight problem. My sister has. It's a family thing, you know, and when you see it, when you see what this, this extra weight does to the body, you know, how it hampers their everyday life, you know, and how it, you know, makes shortens it even, you know. I just lost my grandparents this last year within a month of each other, you know. It was a big thing to take. But it just reinforced my goal that, you know, whatever time I have here on life, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to go for it all. And I'm going to, you know, just 
you know, just all this loving feeling and everything that I can get. And, and uh, I just want to thank each and every one of you. God, I put my other glasses on because I can't see with them. And I thought, I'll never see these faces, but then I can't read. <laughs> if Mary Ann is in here, my name is Alma, and I am a compulsive reader. Mary Ann, when I heard her the other day, she said, don't worry about tomorrow. And I didn't. And it's today, and it's here. <laughs> I'm, I'm really terrified, you know. Look at this. It says, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. Well, I'm going to give it a shot. Here and there, I've got nothing planned, but I'm going to let you know where I've come from and where I am today and what it has done for me. I've been in the program three years, seven months. I've been maintaining a 140-pound loss for two years and seven months. And I accept this, what you're giving me, because I worked hard for it with God, my higher power, and all you people in this marvelous program. Um, I did the whole bit, the diet pills, the vomiting, the whole jazz, and, and I was really sick. Just so sick, never really realizing. I did not want to give up my food, but man, I did not want to be, I did not want to be fat. They would say, what are you eating, Elma? You're eating so much, and look at how thin you are. But they didn't know what they thought I was doing. For a lot of these women who are sitting out here, I'm sure you'll associate this with you. You receive an invitation to a shower or to a wedding, and you say, hey, six weeks. Okay, six weeks, I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to buy a new dress, and I'm going to be all decked up for this shower or this wedding. But tomorrow comes and you say, well, okay, I still have five weeks. All of a sudden, the wedding and the shower is here, and where are you? In your closet with that drabby big dress again. You go to the wedding or the shower, and you try to get there early, and you sit back of the table so no one will see you, because maybe from the waist up you look great, but from the waist down, man, it's a different story. I know you can associate with this, because this is what I did. I was always going to buy a new dress, but I never got it. My husband used to say, you know, Elm, I can't understand how come you're putting weight on. You eat just like a bird. Well, I did, but I ate like a vulture when he wasn't there. <laughs> you know, really, I, I really, you know, I did the whole bit. I could. I was the best two o'clock refrigerator in the whole world. I took inventory of that fridge. When I got up at night, I did not have to put a light on. Light, you know, in the fridge was just fine because I knew where everything was. And I ate cake without even baking it because I did not want to share it. If the kids come home, they could smell it. I'd have to share it. Then I baked the second cake and helped them with that one. I uh, fell and injured my knees and was put to bed for nine months because I was so grossly obese. 
The doctor said I would never be able to work again or function. And that was, you know, something great for me because I always thought I was very tall and slim. And when he said, you're short and grossly obese, my eyes were waking. And it was true, you know. I'm five foot two. And I felt real tall. It's just that I think maybe I had myself, you know, I wasn't fat. I just felt maybe tall like seven feet because then I was the right size. You know, how, how you psych yourself right out, just through craziness. So the doctor told me to go to OA. They'll help you. Well, okay, here I am, short and grossly obese, and I enter the room, and everybody's kissing and hugging, and I said, now I'm in with lesbians. That's all I need. <laughs> you know, I was fit to be tied. I thought, you know, what's happening? And you know, the first week I looked at him, and I thought, hey, an open mind and willingness. And the second week I went back, and they were still hugging and kissing, but I wasn't getting any of this. And I thought, hey, when am I going to get this? I want it. I want acceptance. I got it for the third week. You know, I had converted. I wanted these kisses, and I wanted these hugs. I, I really needed them. I became so involved in the program. To me, it's just my way of life. Um, just for fun, my husband's going in for surgery on Tuesday, and he said, do you think you'll have time to take me to the hospital Monday? And I said, I think so. And he said, well, will you be there on Tuesday? And I said, oh, I've got a meeting. And he said, well, what about Wednesday? And I said, I've got a meeting. He said, can I make a date for Thursday? <laughs> so I promised him we have a date Thursday, but I'm going to be there. You know, all is my life, but so is he. Um, if I could only tell you what I perceive from it, it would take years and years and years because I can't. There's too much that's happened to me. I can share my sexuality. It was easier, easier last night to share my sexuality, you know, with the kinky, dumb things I want to do now because I got the shape and I got the young mind. Ruth said she's 40. I'm 39. <laughs> that's it. Linda said that she wanted to have, last year, if you were here, she said that elderly lady got propositioned and she didn't, that was me. <laughs> that was me in California. Some guy asked me, you know, if I could spend the night with him. And I thanked him. I said, hey. <laughs> I did. I said, I know you only want my body. But I said, two years ago, you would not have wanted my body. And for that, I thank you, and I will tell my husband, now will you take me to church tomorrow? <laughs> and he put up on the bulletin board anybody that wanted to go to church to put their names down. And we had two buses that went, and Peter was the one that drove the bus. I remember that. And I came home and I told my husband, because he always had this, we go to Vegas, you know, I got a proposition by this chick. Oh, God, again. <laughs> and this time I thought, I'm going to get home and I'm going to tell him I was propositioned. And he said, so what? <laughs> so what? But you know, when I was in bed in pain, I thought, I hate you. If I ever get thin, I'm leaving you and I'm going to have an affair. 
I'm having an affair now with him. You know, he thinks we're too old, but I got me. <laughs> Anyhow, I just want to tell you for all of you out there, I have inside of me like a candle that is burning. It is just so great. I live and breathe away, and it's here for you. If I could borrow what I've got and give you each a little bit, you'd have my feelings. And God, keep coming back, because it's great. I'm still Linda, and I'm still a compulsive overeater. And I'm the third and fifth disciple. disciple. <laughs> um, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Um, I, I, I took this uh, number five promise because I was hoping that somebody else would take it from me, and they're just not yet, yet there, but uh, anyway. Uh, as I was saying before, you know, I just love being amazed. And when I stand back after I've been amazed and, and, and being re-amazed at what's happened, you know, I mean, when I, when I take it all in, you know, and uh, see just how it's happened, you know, when it's happened, why it's happened, uh, I just can't help but be amazed. And within the last year, uh, our intergroup has had a real big changeover in, in Windsor, uh, kind of all new people coming in. And I went for a position that uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted this position that I went for, but I wasn't sure if I really was up to it, you know, capable of it. It's, uh, you know, it was a big position. And being the kind of person that I am, I just didn't think I had the confidence to, to do it, you know. And uh, I ran for it for the for the simple fact that I would give the other person running for me, you know, a good race for it, you know. And uh, it wasn't kind of a race. The way it happened, you know, I was amazed again. But I ended up with the position that I wanted in Windsor, you know. And uh, for somebody who felt that they couldn't take over this job, uh, I'm such a disorganized person, you know. Uh, I have a hard time writing letters. And my, my brother's been living in Spain for 11 years, and I've got two letters off to him in all that time. You know, I'd rather phone than write. Uh, I, uh, I'm proving that I can do it. You know, I, I can, Linda can do it. And uh, I like it. You know, I like being useful. I like giving this service. You know, if you phone Windsor's Southwestern Ontario Intergroup, you get me. And I like that dealing, you know, that one-on-one -one dealing with the, the newcomer, you know, talking on the phone. And it gives me the incentive. And I honestly think that my higher power, who I call God, you know, he was there and he says, Linda needs this right now. You know, she needs this job. She needs these feelings. Uh, and uh, I do. I do. When I stand back and say, yeah, I do need him. I need to feel, you know, that I'm important, that I can prove to myself that I can do anything that, that I never thought I could do. And I like that feeling. Um, you know how you, whenever you see a skinny person eating something that you really like, all the feelings that you get? 
the self-pity, why me, why can't I enjoy that, but they're eating, and still stay, say, stay skinny. You know, um, why do I have to be the way I am? You know, why, why does that have to just cling to me so easily, you know? Um, why can't I be skinny easily, you know? Uh, it's so easy to be, you know, fat, overweight, and it, it's, I won't say it's hard, because as long as I stay in program, and as long as I have my higher power, it's simple. It, it's a simple program, and, and uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I never shared this with anybody. I think I shared it once before, but I had went to an intergroup meeting with this other OAer, and we were talking about making pecan pies the next day at an intergroup meeting. That's how sick we were still. <laughs> and she told me that she was making pecan pies and that I was welcome to come over and enjoy them with her, you know. I says, okay. And so we made a date. <laughs> uh, and I went to bed, going over to her house the next day, you know. And uh, I'm laying in bed. And I'm thinking, you know, they do taste good. And I really like pecan pies. They're my bestest. Um, but I can't do that to her. I can't make her my eating buddy. She's my OA buddy. You know, I can't change our relationship. You know, uh, she's special in that she's my OA buddy. She's not my eating buddy. I have plenty of eating buddies. You know, anytime I want an eating buddy, I have plenty of them. And I do have plenty of OA buddies, but she happens to be a special OA buddy to me. And I just couldn't take that relationship on that different plane. <coughs> so I woke up the next morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I phoned you and I says, I can't, I can't do that to you and I. Just what are you talking about, Linda? So I just can't come and enjoy pecan pies with you and make you my eating buddy because I don't want to. And you know, from that moment on, I have been abstinent. I have stayed away from sugar as best as I could, you know, because there's sugar in everything that we eat. But uh, I find that that's my program. I stay away from sugar as an alcoholic stays away from alcohol. I have made it a simple program to suit me. And my barometer of how it's working is that I'm getting slim, I'm staying slim, and I'm getting this inner peace and happiness and serenity. Uh, feeling of useless, uh, uselessness is going away, self-pity is going away, and I'm really enjoying all these promises. And I, last year I spoke on the promises, you know, and I had a fear in my heart because I really didn't do everything to deserve the promises. I hadn't completed my four-step inventory, and I knew I had to, because it was really pressing in the back of my mind, and to get, get rid of this garbage from the past, you know. Uh, do it, you know. And at the uh, assembly, I mean the uh, convention last year, I went to the four-step inventory uh, workshop, and I thank Marianne for getting me onto it. You know, uh, she doesn't know how dear she is for that, but she's dear in my heart. And I went home, and I started my four-step inventory, and it was a fearless and thorough. Four-step inventory. I never knew what those words meant until I had finished my four-step inventory. And the fear just went away. And I had picked, I chose somebody to uh, give my four-step inventory away to, you know. 
And it's a dear friend of mine, and I thought, gee, is she going to hate me when she really knows me, you know? Uh, all these bad things about Linda, you know? Is she going to hate me? Is she going to be able to accept me? Because we are different. You know, we feel different, we think different, we do different. Is she going to be able to accept me as I am? And, you know, I, I said, I don't really care. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't care, you know. If she can't, that's her problem. I've got to do this. So I did it, and it was a fearless and thorough uh, moral inventory of myself. And today, I, I, I'm really, really happy that I took the time to do that, because I feel that I, I kind of deserve these promises. And uh, I'm doing everything that's right for me at this time. And as long as I keep doing it, uh, I know that the promises are mine for the taking. And I'm trying to make progress program in the 12 steps as natural to my life, my way of living as I can. Uh, I don't stop and say, hey, I'm doing this 10th step right now, you know, or uh, gee, I got to do the 11th step, you know, meditation. I just make it as normal to my life and way of living as I can. And I find that that's the way it should be, at least for me. And uh, I like this feeling of being a butterfly. I know my husband does, you know, because this year when I, oh, okay, <laughs> this year, <laughs> I like it up here now. <laughs> this year when I said I was going to the convention, he just says, oh, and he turned away and mad, you know, and I says, don't do that to us, you know, don't do it. Uh, be happy that I can do it and get those feelings and come home and be a better person and a better wife and mother to you guys. Because uh, I know I'm going to go home and I'm going to have so much love for, for him that he let me come willingly. Thank you. Take the gum out of my mouth. Hi, my name is Ida and I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater. Thank you. The step signed to me was we will, have, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. An excerpt from the July 28th reading from A Day at a Time says, only a mind cleansed of self-interest can acknowledge the truth. I had to learn a lot of painful truths about myself before I could begin to understand myself. My mind is cleansed through abstinence, meditation, and prayer. When my thinking becomes clearer and free from the clouding of refined sugars and starches, I can see things realistically and not colored by my own emotional picture painting. When I stop thinking, wondering, or worrying about how a certain event, person, or thing will affect me, when I lose self-interest, like wondering, what's in it for me? When I stop thinking of me and how the end result is going to affect me and start thinking of what I can do for others, then I'm on the right track. When I work my program by thinking and doing for others rather than for myself, my life flows much easier. Through meditation and prayer, I acquire an inner strength and serenity 
and leave the results of anything up to God, my higher power. This is letting go and letting God. A lesson I have to learn every day. An excerpt from the October 14th reading on friendship says, abstinence from my addiction, this beautiful gift from God, followed by a gradual spiritual awakening, an even greater gift, brought by working the steps, is but a beginning of a flow of many gifts from my higher power. I like getting presents. If I want more gifts to follow, I must continue my spiritual growth, and I do this by working or trying to work the 12 steps on a daily basis in all my affairs. As this gradual spiritual awakening unfolds, I find I can scrap my old way of life, that old, selfish, friendless way. This old way that did not work for me and replace it with a new and beautiful and loving way of life that does work. Where I used to think in terms of quitting, giving up, what's the use? I can now replace these with terms of growing, expanding, learning, awakening, living, caring, and loving by staying close to God in a fit spiritual condition, I am slowly losing that childish, immature self-centeredness. He may not give me what I want, but he does give me what I need. As long as I can try to live in this fit spiritual condition by asking to know and doing his will, I know I'll be okay. I find I'm gradually becoming less interested in myself and my little schemes and becoming more interested in others and seeing what I can do for them without counting the cost or expecting any reward. Before coming into program, I had no close friends. All my life I never had a close friend or a confidant, but I envied those people who did. I thought I was practicing the golden rule by doing unto others as I would have them do unto me. I would do favors, people-pleasing, for people, but always expected them to do the same thing for me. And if I didn't, and if they didn't do for me as I thought they should, I dropped them. If I did something for you, you better damn well do something for me in return. And that was the attitude I used to have. That line in Just for Today, when I first joined OA, <coughs> the part about doing a good turn for someone and not getting found out, that made no sense to me at all. How would people ever be able to thank me if they didn't know who I was? I expected to be thanked. I expected to be acknowledged. I expected to be repaid in kind. When I stopped expecting, and started accepting, things just turned right around. It's a hard lesson for me to learn that kindness does not need a reward. In a way, I'm learning that there's joy in being able to give. That ability, that being able to give, is a gift in itself. It is not necessary to be paid back or rewarded 
If there is such an exchange, then the giver is twice blessed, but the giver should not expect a gift in return. But oftentimes a reward or a gift has manifested itself in many other often greater returns. And if it isn't, that's okay too. Like a man away friend of mine used to say, when you cast your bread upon waters, they come back Parker House rolls. <laughs> Not a very good analogy in a way, but I think you get the meaning. <clears throat> OA is teaching me to like myself. And when I like myself, I can give you a gift of part of me. It's even a greater gift because it is given with joy and love without any thought of reward. When I can give you a gift of love, I am your friend. I know I have many friends, or I didn't have many before. OA is teaching me how to be a friend, and this is the promise for me. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Thank you. Uh, my promise is self-seeking will slip away. Um, self-seeking for me been a lot of negative things in my life. One was uh, manipulating and controlling, um, trying to make sure that I get enough to meet what I thought my needs were, which often was, which often meant grabbing more than I really need, like food, and it spills into other areas of our lives as well. Um, another thing that was in self-seeking, I, I was very analytical of myself, too analytical, uh, dwelling upon my past, um, and feeling like the world somehow, my, my world revolved around me, and any time anything wrong happened to me, the world caved in on me, and I was alone, I was alone in my pain, and everything was out of proportion. Something else of self-seeking uh, was my perfectionism. Um, Everything has to go a certain way. It has to go my way. And, and, you know, heaven forbid, if it doesn't go perfect, you know, my God, what am I going to do? And uh, it's, it's different now. I'll get to that in a second. Um, Self-seeking, in a way, is, for me, is kind of a passive thing as opposed to an active thing. Um, the promises appear in, uh, into action. And self-seeking, for me, is the opposite of that, because um, I wanted to feel good. So I, I waited and looked for people to come into my life to make me feel good, because I did not feel good about myself. Um, now, it's much, much, much different. Uh, the people in my life complement the way I now feel about myself. And someone says to me, me, you know, you're really cute, I say, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> it's true. And it's not, a, it's not a cocky thing like it could have been before. It's like, before I needed that. Like, I, I look for people to say, you know, Laura, you're cute. Laura, you're nice. You do this, you do that. But it never made me feel good about myself. Like, as long as I could maybe hold on to that person, like, and carry them around with me, you know, you know, tell them, tell them what you said about me, you know, that would be okay. Then I could maybe make people think that I felt good about myself. Um, but now people compliment me and I, I say thank you. Um, I've been blessed with a lot of things from my higher power. Um, Self-seeking will slip away. Um, that's, the word is, is very good, slip away. It's not something I consciously set out to do. Well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this self-seeking just slip away, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna make it happen. Um, but that's not, that's not how it happens. It, I think a lot of the promises are that way. We work the steps and uh, all of a sudden we wake up one morning and, and you realize, you say, geez, you know, that's, that's gone. I used to feel really negative about, you know, whatever, and it's not there anymore. Um, and especially when we have a bad day, you know, we have a really bad day, and we think, geez, I used to feel like this all the time. That's what it used to be like. Um, maybe that's what those bad days are for. Um, I have to share something. Um, I did not know I was coming to this convention until, I guess, Thursday? Did I call you Thursday? And uh, I didn't have a ride. I had a class that ended at 3.30. I'm a university student. And uh, everyone I knew in Windsor was leaving in the morning. And uh, I, w I went to a meeting on Thursday night, and I, you know, I asked, you know, does anyone know if anyone is going in the afternoon? And, you know, nobody knew. And, uh, and I had an OA friend say, you know, if, if it is your higher power's will for you to get there, then you'll get there. And if not, don't worry about it. You're needed somewhere else. I thought, yeah, yeah, it's true. And I just relaxed with it. You know, I was starting to accept the fact that, well, you know, if I don't get there, it's okay. And uh, I was, it was suggested that I call the Detroit intergroup uh, to, call, to call Muriel and uh, find out if anyone was leaving from Detroit uh, late in the afternoon. And so I, I got some names. Uh, well, I got a name of a woman, Ricky, and I called her up. And uh, we arranged to meet at the Rensen. Can't wait to go there, by the way. Um, and uh, it got, she said she'd meet me at, at 5.30. Okay, so 5.30 was there. Then it was, then it was uh, 25 to 6, and it was 22. And I thought, okay, maybe it's just not God's will. You know, I wasn't getting upset. Now, in the past, it'd be like, you know, white knuckling, like, my God, you know, what am I going to do? Like, it's not that tense. You know, what would I, I would do is hop on the tunnel bus and go back home. I mean, it's no big deal. Um, but everything turned out okay, and I let go. I did not have to control it. I did not have to seek it out myself. Everything has worked out for the best. God's way is better than, than my way. Um, I don't have to control my needs are met, not necessarily my demands, um, but my needs are always met. And I was worried about what I'd... I was worried about... Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, just real quick. Um, funny enough, in the meditation book, today, 
it was exactly what I needed for this. I'll just read it quickly. Okay. Um, today look upon, oh, sorry, today look upward toward God, not downward toward yourself. Look away from unpleasant surroundings, from lack of beauty, from the imperfections in yourself and in those around you. In your unrest, behold God's calmness. In your impatience, God's patience. In your limitations, God's perfection. This will probably be quite short and to the point. I also don't have anything prepared. Um, when I knew I was coming here on, um, just before Laura had called me on that Thursday night, I had called my sponsor because I felt really good. I'd had, everything was going along great. And, but I said, you know, I just don't feel that I can, I can share or take part. After I had given my commitment to Alma that I, I would uh, talk on a promise. So my sponsor, um, we all know we do exactly what our sponsors tell us, um, said, you know, like, I think it's time, um, as long as you're not eating something that you shouldn't, as long as you are abstinent, there's no reason that you shouldn't, um, and she's always, uh, I guess, sort of tough love. She tells me, she said, uh, it's time to start getting honest with your feelings, she said, uh, because we go to the same step meeting in that, and uh, she said, you're, you always kid, or you talk just so far, and then sort of kibitz the rest, and she said, date would be a good place to start, <laughs> and uh, so I really don't know what I'm going to say. Um, I always ask God to help me. I turn it over in the beginning of the morning, and I have talked to him a lot about being up here, and my only problem is, is that I always get in the way. I, God does a great job if I would stay out of the way. So I'm just hoping that I'll say a, just a couple things and hope that it's God coming through me and not myself. Our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Well, if I'm abstinent and I'm working my steps to the best of my ability, then this step definitely changes attitudes. From the time I get up to the time I go to bed, um, the people I meet, uh, okay, take, okay, take the bad part when you're eating or you're not, and you're going crazy because of what you put into your system. Everything's negative. Everybody you meet um, rubs you the wrong way. You look for, or you're, you're picky, like you go back to your, your old ways. Um, when I'm not eating and I'm working my program, things are great. There's not one person that I meet in a day that can, that can bring me down. In fact, when I, when I started my job, and I mean, now they know, they just call me the kid and they think I'm crazy. And I just smile and go, yeah, I am. And they don't really know that I really believe that I am crazy. And no matter what comes up, as long as, you know, I turn to God, not to food, I know that I can have the most wonderful life that I could ever um, believe possible. Uh, I just want to say I really, really enjoyed the everything here this weekend. Um, I did more sleeping, I think, this weekend than I have in the past, and, and that's okay. Jean said it was okay. <laughs> and uh, I just want to thank everybody.
Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Okay. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. As in Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, which is exactly where my life is at. The past six to eight months have been traumatic and filled with changes. I went to the stress seminar, and I would be embarrassed to tell you how I scored. Um, the past year, my brother's wife had a child, which is the first grandchild in my family. My mother had cancer again. She's doing quite well. That was the third time she's had cancer. My father died July 1st, and I was always daddy's little girl. Even at 32, I was daddy's little girl. For five and a half years, I've been in retail management for a very large firm. The last year, last year, when I stood up here, I mentioned the difficulties I was having, and I said that I knew that they would work themselves out whichever way it was meant to work out. They have worked themselves out. For four and a half years, I was a model employee. I could do no wrong. I won awards. And then my direct supervisor was changed. And my performance rating changed dramatically. All of a sudden, I couldn't do anything right. Everything I did was wrong. I was fired July 1st of this year. I had already agreed to do this promise that July 1st, October 1st of this year, I was fired. And I had agreed to do this promise all about the first part of September. And I thought it was rather ironic, actually, when the, my personnel manager was telling me that they deeply regretted having to do this thing. I remember sitting there looking at him and going, and I'm going to Dayton, and I'm going to tell them, you know, economic insecurity will leave you. Well, it does leave you. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm fired, you know. So I figured that that was probably a direct message from above. <coughs> Um, I must add that in the last eight months in my, my management position, the department that I did run in Windsor, which has an economy, if you could believe it, as bad as Detroit, if not worse, my department ran between a 4 and a 55% increase over last year's figures. If I hadn't been in OA when all of this had happened, my whole self-image would have been destroyed. My self-worth would have been nothing. But that's not what happened. I was very calm when they told me about it. I told them that I really would not sign any of the papers, but would like to have a Xerox copy for my lawyer. Um, when I became unemployed and refused to sign anything, I didn't even get my last week's salary or my vacation pay or my insurance or my retirement or my pension plans. None of that. That was on a Friday, and I was planning a vacation, and I was supposed to go to Toronto, which is my home. I did go to Toronto that afternoon. And on the following Monday, I went to head office of the company I had worked for. And I, the little mouse from Windsor, went up to the ninth floor to the vice presidential suites and spoke to somebody and personnel at a vice presidential level. I didn't think I'd have the guts to do that, but I did. It's amazing what you have inside of yourself. My mother was so sure and so afraid for me through this past year that this might be the straw that would break the camel's back. But it didn't. 
because we are all made of very strong stuff. Nobody in this room has ever been given anything they cannot handle. I believe that from the depths of my soul. Everything you are given, you can handle, and you can handle it well. You may not know or you may not want to handle it, but believe me, you can handle it. I know, I have, I am, I, and I will continue to handle it. I don't really know if what I had to say will make a big difference in that vice presidential office. They taught, they listened to me, they listened to me for quite a while. And after I left there, I felt good because I had a few things I wanted to say. Prior to this, I had dealt with the Ministry of Labor, and I'm not sure what the counterpart is in the United States, but that's the government area. And I had also received some free legal counsel. Basically, there was nothing I could do till the time of my termination. But I had decided that I would seek out a legal lawyer, a labor lawyer, if it got to the point that I was terminated. Well, I had done some research and found that the best one in town was very expensive. I had an idea what his retainer was. And as I said, I didn't leave my job with very much money. I also left my job not owing any money, which was something that I had done for myself in the last few years. I paid off a great number of debts. And I have $400 worth of debts at this point, which is a great way to be when you don't have any income. So I just really didn't know where this retainer was going to come from. But I phoned the law office. I made an appointment to see the gentleman I wanted to speak to. And I, I went down and saw him with all of my uh, documentation. And I did keep records. And I do have copies of everything. And was told I had a very good case. And yes, they would like to tell me, they would like to, to have me as a client. And yes, they would represent me. Oh, and yes, there was a retainer, a large one. And after discussing this with, with this lawyer and realizing that they did not take legal aid or legal assistance, it was a cash up front retainer and so on kind of firm, I knew that I couldn't be cheap about my integrity, about my reputation, and about my career. So I knew I didn't have cent in the bank to pay this retainer, but I signed the form um, hiring this firm to represent me, and I said, I'll be back with the retainer. He said, well, you know, if you change your mind or you can't handle the finances, I'm sure we can find a firm who will accept legal aid and who will do you a good job. And as I said to the lawyer, I can't afford to be cheap about this. I said, I'll get the money. If it's meant to be, I'll have the money. Well, I have a lot of blessings in my life. And they are my friends and my family, and a lot of people love me. Well, I have been told, actually I probably have been ordered, that the moment I got home from the lawyer, there were a number of people I had to phone to tell them what had happened, if I'd been accepted, what my chances were. I made the phone calls, and the money started rolling in. My friends, I didn't have to ask. They, uh, they knew my economic situation. I don't make any bones about it. And they knew I didn't particularly want to go home and ask my mother for money, although she could afford to. My mother is 72 and feels that you don't take on a large corporation because you never win, you know. 
But when you're 72, maybe you think that way. I don't feel that way at 32. But that was, that was okay, because my friends came through. I had the retainer by the next day, and the lawyer had his check. I knew I would. I knew if it was supposed to be, it would happen. My life is like that. Everything in my life has always happened for a reason. There have been heartbreaks, but they've been for a reason. And actually, at the time I've been hurting the most, sometimes it's been the luckiest time in my life, because what I want is not always what's right for me. A lot of times I want things that are not right or good for me. And I know my future, I know my future is going to be just fine. There's one particular person who loves me very dearly, and I'm very fortunate and blessed in that aspect. And there are my friends, my friends in OA, and my friends outside. I was thinking to myself before I came down here that they say that if you have one or two good friends in your life, you are very blessed and very fortunate. I can't tell you how many checks I got. I would be very embarrassed. But I know if I need more, there's more to be drawn upon. And I know I'm going to be okay. And I know the program does work. And I know all the promises work, and they come true. Most of them have come true for me. Oh, the first weekend that I was unemployed, I had two job offers. I'm considering them. I don't know if it's what I want to do. I know. But I'm good. I'm very good at what I do. I'm not incompetent. I'm talented. I'm talented. I'm very bright. And I'm very capable. Those are gifts, too. I don't feel that I'm bragging. I just feel I'm stating the facts. I have to sell myself and I always have been able to, and I'm sure I will continue to. And that really is how I feel that promise has come through for me. But I would really like you to come away from this and think about the fact that you can all handle it. I know you can. I'm living proof. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dolores, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Dolores. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. When I first looked at this promise, I thought it would be very simple to speak on it because I realized lately that I really have been handling a lot of problems without too much stress and anxiety. When I looked at it a second, third, fourth, etc. time, it stopped being simple. So I decided just to let it go. After all, the worst thing that could happen is that I'd look foolish in front of all of you. And that's okay because here I'm loved and accepted for what I am. And if I have to look foolish in front of anybody, it's best to do it here. Twice recently, I've handled situations that would have really floored me in the past. Around the middle of July, I had a car accident. And at the time, I 
was absolutely floored when the police officer said that it was my fault. So uh, I decided that that was really unfair and I was going to fight it in court. I was advised by my lawyer and uh, my insurance agent also not to hire a lawyer to represent me because it would cost me at least $200 and uh, I'd lose anyway. So last week, my court case, I went down and pleaded not guilty and uh, I was given a date of October the 14th, I think, or 12th, something in there, last week anyway, for my case. and. Uh, I just re represented myself. I was a little frightened just for a few minutes because there had been about five other cases before me and they all, each side had a lawyer. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> but I was very calm. And uh, I went up and I told the judge that I had no representation. And he asked me how I pleaded and I said, not guilty. and. Uh, the man that hit me didn't turn up, so they dismissed the case. <laughs> if I hadn't done that, I would have ended up owing, I would have lost my $100 deductible, the fine, the court costs, two points on my license. But the most important thing would have been my self-respect and I probably also would have gained about 10 pounds from the binge I would have gone on to for my repressed anger at being unfairly charged. That was one time. Then last Thursday my friend John and I had a disagreement that became a full-fledged half-hour-long argument. He's a recovering alcoholic, a member of AA. And after the argument was over and we were talking very quietly, I told him about having to speak on this promise and having absolutely no idea how to explain its application in my life. And he looked at me quite surprised as if he could hardly believe me. And he said, you've just done it. The last half hour was a perfect example. A year ago, you'd have just run off to the kitchen and gone into that refrigerator and eaten the whole thing. <laughs> but instead, you sat here and talked it out until the problem was resolved. And that's pretty good. Uh, maybe the definitive word in that promise is intuitively, because these are just two instances that I'm aware of. There are probably many more that I don't even think about, because they just aren't as important as they used to be. They're not really problems. I used to just think they were. And as when you clean all the junk food out of your fridge, 
there's plenty room left for all the good nutritious things and the fridge works more efficiently when you clear the junk thoughts out of your mind there's lots more room for sane thoughts and your brain works more efficiently thank you Hi, I'm Marion, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Marion. Welcome. Thank you. The 11th promise, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It will be a year on December the 1st since I walked into my first OA meeting. During this time, I have attended a number of meetings and functions and I always hear the same story over and over. I was brought up to believe in God, but at some point in time, I put him out of my life. Did you really put him out of your life? Or did you just put him on hold until such time as you needed a favor or a miracle? I know that is what I did for a while. I never forgot to pray when things got rough enough, and I thought I could not handle the pressure any longer, little realizing he was helping me all the time. Two years ago, I was told that I would have to have a radical mastectomy because of cancer, and you can bet that I released that hold button very quickly. I prayed so much during the next two weeks before my surgery that God's head must have been spinning. I prayed for his guidance in accepting my illness and also that if he saw a need for me here on earth and if it was his will to please let me survive. I made no promises to do this or that as promises are too easily broken. I figure at this point his job was really cut out, what with my weight, sugar diabetes, and hi hypertension. Well, he obviously <laughs> felt I should stay here for a while, I'm still here. When I was receiving my chemotherapy treatment, every time I passed the bulletin board in the hospital, I kept seeing one sign out of many, and that sign said OA meeting. My doctors were saying, lose weight, you receive less chemotherapy and less radiation if you are thinner. I knew that that was what, where God wanted me to be because that's the only sign I saw. And I told my husband that when I was strong enough, I was going. The day that I decided to go to OA, I knew when I walked into the door that this was where I belonged and where I had to be. And I am sure that if you will truly place your life in God's hands, he will work his miracle for you as he has done for me. You may still feel he was out of your life, but who do you think was protecting you all the time that you were destroying your life and your mind? Who was carrying you over the rough and good times that you have passed through? Do you honestly believe 
that you could have accomplished anything in your life without God. If you are parents, look at your children. They are God's greatest miracle. And you cannot deny that he exists in his life with you. Did you ever think that when you are hungry, you may be spiritually hungry? And that if you put your trust in God, one day you will be saying, my miracle has happened for me. Thank you. We now are three minutes over, so I'm just going to take a brief minute to talk about taking it home. We've heard a lot this weekend about happiness and love. And I really believe that if happiness is an inside job and it's something that we can carry with us, then when we leave this room, we're not leaving anything behind. We sure are taking a lot more with us. And I know when you get home and your family, your friends, weren't in on this experience and may have a few regrets, a few moments of anger, just remember that what you have you can share with them by not reacting to their, to their feelings. Last year in Indiana, I decided to phone my husband on the Saturday night just before I was going to speak. And it just happened that his truck, truck broke down. He was not very happy about it. I had taken the car because I had the biggest car of the people who were going from Windsor, and I had driven the car over to Detroit and parked it in a parking lot all weekend so that I could get to the bus. Here was the car in Detroit, and here was my husband without a car, and of course I felt a little guilty about that. And he was not very excited, and we weren't getting along as well as we are now. I had had so much program that night and felt so good, I was not going to let him pull me down. <coughs> However, I got my words mixed up a bit, and when he was telling me about his truck, I said, Paul, it's not my problem. I meant to say it's not my fault, but I said, it's not my problem, and he hung up on me. And I was just devastated because I knew that I had said the wrong thing. I, it's not really what I meant, so I phoned him back, and he was still very angry. And I realized if I hadn't said the wrong thing, everything would have been all right because he was not angry at me. He wasn't upset because I was away. It's just that it was a situation that he wasn't very happy with and he was supposed to go to a party that night and couldn't because I had the car. And when, we got, when I got home, he said, I won't forget those words. And I said, but Paul, I didn't mean to say that. And as long as I knew that I was doing the best I could, it was okay. This year I called him and someone said, make sure you don't say it's not my problem. <laughs> so I called him and because things are better with us, I was able to you know, talk to him in a different vein, I guess. And I said, nothing's gone wrong? He said, no, Robbie's asleep and Jody's at a friend's house. She's calling me at 10 and I'm going to pick her up and everything's fine. 
But that's because my attitude has changed too. It's our attitude when we walk in that front door. Please don't program that your husband's going to be angry because it's going to show on you. He's going to get those vibes that you think something's wrong. If we love ourselves enough, we don't have to worry about walking outside this door. We really don't. The love that we have shared will remain in our hearts. And if you want to exchange addresses, do that. And you can keep up this this friendship that perhaps you started. But when we take it home today, we can share that love with our family. And we can touch their hearts as we have touched each other's. I had the hardest time taking the whole program, not a weekend, but the whole program home. Because he just didn't react and respond the way you people did. He wasn't as accepting. And you know, the funny thing happened. He changed a lot through OA. He's never been to a meeting, but boy, he's changed a lot. You know? All those things he did to me that I used to tell you, he doesn't do them anymore. And of course, I know you're laughing because you know that it really wasn't him. I was a, I won't say it on tape, an egg, I guess it was. And uh, I didn't know it. I thought I was perfect. Now I know I'm perfect. <laughs> anyway, I know when I go home, because I got more sleep, I'm not going to be as tired. I'm not going to walk in that door and go to sleep the first minute I get there, which is what I used to do. I used to be so tired from having such a good time, I'd fall asleep and, you know, not even spend some time with my kids. I know the first thing my son's going to say when I get home is, what did you buy me? And I'm going to keep him on hold for a minute. Make him wait for his um, E.T. underoos. <laughs> uh, one thing in closing, um, more thought, love, and feeling is caught than taught. People are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. But when the darkness sets in, the true beauty is revealed only if there is a light from within. <laughs>